Good deal, man. We're excited about being here at Northwood Church. Want to welcome you again. Want to welcome those who are watching online. We're currently in a series called Questions. And uh, this has been a really cool series because, you know, when it comes to questions, people have questions all throughout the seasons of their life. And some of those questions are complicated and some of those questions are not so complicated. And typically the complicated questions come in times of turmoil. They come in times of pain. They come in times of tragedy and these are the types of questions where we really don't understand and we, we grasp at understanding and uh, sometimes we don't have all the answers and that's how questions are. Questions question the unknown. And in this series, we've really been tackling some mainstream theological questions. Questions like the resurrection with Jesus in week number one. Questions like, can I actually rely on the Bible? I mean, the authenticity of the scriptures. And in week number three, last week, we talked about morality. And these are big, big questions that we're tackling uh, as a staff. And the cool thing about it is we don't have all the answers. So we don't stand up here and basically say, hey, you know what? God and all his angels are clapping at every one of our professional messages because they're absolutely accurate. Every T is crossed and every I is dotted. Thank you very much. <clears throat> no, we're just regular people, and you'll see uh, more and more of that if you hang around long enough. And uh, so this thing called questions, you know, in, in Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter, it says this, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge. And so the, one of the main purpose of this series is to supplement our faith. You know, we need supplements in our faith to get us going. It really doesn't look, our faith might be right here, but God wants to stretch our faith or grow our faith. And our faith can be developed. And knowledge sometimes develops that faith. A deeper understanding of who God is and the clarity that that brings builds upon your already existing faith. I love, I love the Bible because it talks about it doesn't matter what measure of faith you're currently working with, it's enough. It's enough. And so I don't know where you are today, but our goal is to water your faith and help stimulate your faith by bringing more knowledge in this series. In 2 Peter, he talks about supplementing our faith. And then over in 1 Peter, it says, if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. And so that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna try to explain it. And so when we're explaining truth, there's always three different types of people hearing truth. The first type is the believer, people who are following Christ. He says, you know what, I believe in the resurrection. I believe the authenticity of the Bible. I'm putting my hope in God, and uh, I'm a believer. Well, your faith needs to grow. Then there's the seeker. 
That's the person might be an agnostic, just saying, hey, I'm not sure if there's a God or not, but I'm starting to kick the tires. Maybe you downloaded a Bible app onto your smartphone. Maybe you went down to the Christian bookstore and picked up a book. Nevertheless, you're starting to think about God and, and you're a seeker, something spiritual's happening in your life. And then there's the skeptic, <clears throat> excuse me, the skeptic, that's the person who's like, I'm not sure about all this, definitely not sure about the church thing, much less God, and I cannot rely fully on the Bible. <clears throat> excuse me, there's no way, there's no way. I'm an atheist. There's, there, I just, I don't believe in all this. And those are the types of people that fall under the hearing of the truth. And this is a big question that we're gonna try to dive into today. And it's, is God good? Is God good? Now, the short answer is, yes, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. <laughs> Such a cliche, right? But it's true. It's true, and we wanna get a little bit further into that. An undergrad English major said this, I just don't believe the God of Christianity exists. God allows terrible suffering in the world, so he might be either all-powerful, but not good enough to end evil and suffering. Or else he might be all-good, but not powerful enough to end evil and suffering. Either way, the all-good, all-powerful God of the Bible couldn't exist. And this is an argument that's been going on in the minds of mankind, humans, for centuries, really, for a long time, the seed of doubt. And throughout these generations, many people have asked the question, in the light of all this evil, all this suffering, all these catastrophes, like tsunamis that kills hundreds of thousands of people. This injustice, how could God be good? How could he be good? And there's been many theories to answer this question. One of those theories is atheism. Atheism is not simply a belief that there's no higher power or no higher being. It's also the argument that there, if there is a God, he is either evil or unable to stop evil, therefore he's not an almighty God, period. Another theory is dualism. And dualism simply states that it's, it's kind of like a philosophy, it's based on Eastern religions, and it says that there are good and evil, they're dual forces that have always existed and they battle for dominance, light and dark. They're constantly battling for dominance. Then there's humanism that tries to answer the question, is God really good? And humanism is a modern idea that states that life is what you make it, good or evil. It teaches that there's no such thing as good or evil. It proposes the idea that you are the one who makes something good for yourself or bad for yourself. In other words, if something is good for you, then it's good, and if it's bad for you, then it's bad. And these theories try to answer this complicated, deep question of is God good? You go back last week and we kind of tackled humanism when we talked about morality. Now here's our stance as a church. It's Christian theology. That's how we answer this question, is God good? Through our Christian theology based on the close canon of scriptures, Genesis to Revelation. Our Christian theology 
But what we have to do is understand this, that we will always have questions. We'll always have questions. That's a good place to realize that, you know what? I'm not gonna always have all the answers. See, we are like Moses in the fact that we are wrestling with understanding God. See, he had questions despite his experience. I want you to think about Moses with me just for a moment. A lot of you know the story of Moses. See, Moses saw the burning bush and heard the audible voice of God. Moses saw the people of God in slavery in Egypt. Moses saw natural miracles through the parting of the Red Sea. He saw miracles through his staff. He, he saw God move in a most powerful way that most of us will probably never experience. But yet he still was struggling with his understanding of God. There's a passage in the Old Testament where he was up in the mountain talking to God and he was telling God, he's like, God, I wanna see your face. In other words, God, I wanna understand the fullness of you. I, I wanna see what you see. I'm not seeing enough. And God said, okay, Moses, here's what we're gonna do. First of all, no flesh can glory in my presence. You will die if I show you the fullness of who I am. And it's not time for you to die, Moses. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go ahead and put my hand over you and I'm gonna creep around the corner in the mountain and I'm gonna let you look through my fingers and just get a glimpse of my backside, a micro understanding of my fullness, just a drop. It's like, to me, I, I picture somebody who's been going through the desert and are dehydrated and they find that canteen and, and they're shaking it and they just turn it upside down and, and, and that little drop of water, it's like slow motion. It's just coming down. It's like the matrix, you know what I'm talking about. And it hits that tongue and it's like, oh, a drop of water. That's the way I picture it with Moses. The guy who heard God through the burning bush and did great miracles. God said, I'm gonna give you a micro understanding of who I am. I'm gonna pass by you. And the Bible says, I'm gonna let you see a little bit of my backside. And he got a glimpse. And the Bible says his hair turned white and his face glowed. I think he almost died. I think he almost died. Basically, God was saying, in the vessel that you're in right now, the human body that's made up of water and mud, you're not gonna have full understanding, Moses, but there's a time coming when you will leave this body behind and you will inhabit a glorified body that doesn't decay, and then your understanding will increase. So you've, we've got class to go to sooner or later. So we've got to realize that, you know what, we're going to struggle with our understanding of who God is, and that's okay. But our Christian theology states that God is the origin of all good things. He's actually the origin of good things. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, Then God looked over all he made. And he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. This is creation. This is the heavens and the earth that he created. The day and night, the sky and sea, the land and vegetation and stars, the sun and moon, the sea creatures and birds, the animals 
and mankind, humans. God said it was good. His creation was good. It was flawless. It was in perfect harmony and it had no error in it. He said, this is good. And in James chapter one, reconfirming that, verse 17, it says, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Everything he's done is good and it will always be good and it'll never change. And you know, we think about the origin of good, it automatically puts the contrast in our mind, what about bad? What, what about evil? And so we go back and we, we, we look at this created being that we know as Satan in the Bible, and we say that Satan is the origin of the desire of sin in mankind. He was the catalyst, if you would, we see it in Genesis chapter three, verse one, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? He began to plant the seed of a different desire other than God's good desires. He was the catalyst of this thing called sin, which is outside of God's normality in his creation. It's missing the mark with God. See, sin, or we can say it this way, the fall of man was the beginning of calamity and evil. It was the starting point of a trajectory that was leading in a bad place. See, we've gotta realize before sin entered in Adam, it was great. I mean, God said that he walked in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day in perfect communion and communication and harmony with mankind. It was like the lion was with the lamb and the snake's not gonna bite your foot. Come on, somebody. I mean, it was good days, man. It was pick the fruit that's growing and let's have a good time. Break out the basket and the blanket. But, but this thing called sin entered Adam and it began a trajectory. We call it the fall of man. In Romans chapter five, verse 12, it said, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone had sinned. So this is still a complicated viewpoint. It still doesn't give all the answers that we would want as human beings. Can we say, well, what about this guy, this created being called Lucifer? Why did he even have evil? I mean, how, how could it even tempt man? John Piper, a modern day theologian was asked, how did Satan become evil? And his first statement was, I don't know. I don't know. Then he goes on to say this, and it's plain to me that those who believe in ultimate self-determination of God's creatures, like angels and humans, don't know either. To say that Satan had free will, free will equates to ultimate self-determination, is not an explanation for why he committed the first sin. It's only a label. It's not an explanation. It's a label, it's a mystery. 
I want you to think about that with me for a moment. A mystery. We look back into the New Testament, Paul the Apostle, as he was disclosing the Word of God by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was God-breathed. He said, you know, this thing about God reconciling man to himself through Christ and the cross, it's a mystery. It even says that angels looked down and said, hmm, what's going on here? It's a mystery that we don't have all the understanding. How could a perfectly good being with a perfectly good will and a perfectly good heart ever experience any imperfect impulse that would cause the will to move in a direction of sin? And the answer is, nobody knows. Including those who say, oh, it's free will, that's not an explanation, it's a name, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. And without the mystery of the unknown, faith is not needed. Faith is the substance, the material that God can work with. Faith is the substance of the things that we cannot see, of the things we cannot see. Faith is. So without a mystery, no faith is needed. But by faith, we know that creation came from God. By faith, we believe. By faith, we exercise our will. By faith, we move and have our being. Faith is the key component that God decided to use with mankind, and it's a mystery. It's a mystery. The theologian continued and said, but here's what I do know. God is sovereign. Nothing comes to pass apart from his plan which includes things he more or less causes directly and things he more or less permits indirectly. And there is no doubt in my mind that Satan's fall and all of the redemptive plan of God for the glory of his grace afterwards was according to God's eternal plan. But it is precisely at this point that the how of the casualty of Satan's first sin worked, we do not know. But what I'm taught in the Bible is that God is sovereign over all things, including sin, and he himself is never evil. There is some conclusions that we can have, that we should have, and that we should declare. Because if we are not concluded in some areas of our faith, just like Eve or just like Adam, Satan will put the seed of a desire to choose something other than God's goodness and say, how could God actually be good is a seed of deception. It's that desire. In Psalms chapter 52, verse one, it says, why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. You know, throughout centuries, there's been many men that have boasted in evil. They ravaged communities. They've killed the innocent. They've pillaged and raped and conquered lands and wore it as a badge of pro predominance. And the Spirit of God is saying, oh, where are you mighty man of evil? The, the goodness of the Lord is gonna continue forever and your evil, in other words, is gonna stop. It's gonna come to an end one day. But the goodness of the Lord continues. 
See, God's goodness is steadfast love. It's steadfast. It's like a heartbeat that never misses. Never misses. It's pumping steadfast love generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. Mercy. His, his goodness equates to mercy. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. His goodness equates to justice. So, well, I'm not seeing the, God said, guess what? I'm gonna have justice on my clock, not yours. A lot of times we want God to wear our watch and it doesn't fit God. He has something better than a Rolex. God's outside of time. We're in time. But, but you know, Psalms, it really describes the goodness of God and Chapter 52 in verse one, I'm gonna show you a few different versions. The ESV, it says, the steadfast love of God endures all day long. In God's word, it says, the mercy of God lasts all day long. In the NLT, it says, don't you realize God's justice continues forever? His justice continues forever. See, this thing about goodness is sometimes incomprehensible by the finite mind. Like the fullness of God's goodness is really, we can't comprehend all of it. It's impossible. It was like Moses, I wanna see your goodness, God. I saw you deliver the children of Israel. I saw you deliver my aunt, my uncle. You delivered me, God, but I wanna see more of your goodness. And he said, you know what? The finite mind can't handle all of the goodness that I am. See, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is talking to a religious guy. And this guy's pretty smart, all right? When I say smart, he's smart. And a religious leader asked Jesus a question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, I love Jesus, right? Jesus said, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, only God is truly good. Here is a religious leader He studied, I mean, with the best of them, an academic scholar when it comes to the Old Testament, a theologian, like, right? And and Jesus says, basically, your perception is off. Why are you calling me good? You don't understand goodness. As a matter of fact, man's interpretation of good does not define God's goodness. Man's interpretation of good does not define God's goodness. And what happens is our interpretation of good in the context of God changes. It changes drastically when we're in pain. It changes when we're under duress. It has the ability to change when we feel pressure. When our health begins to fail us. When a loved one dies, we start to feel the pressure and our interpretation of goodness is starting to change. I believe in the time of pain and in a time of pressure. I've got a picture in my mind. It's like a fork in the road and there's an individual there kneeled down and there's one way to go, which is almost back to the Garden of Eden where the devil tempted man and drop the seed of the desire to say, is God truly? 
I think in the time of pain, and I think, I think right there we have a decision to make because either we can go the route of Satan and believe the lie and be paralyzed because pain has the ability to paralyze or we can, or we can say, in, despite my pain, God is good and let our pain become a place of power. But in that moment is a critical moment and if we begin to entertain the seed of God is really not good because of my circumstance, then it's gonna bring us to a place of paralyzation versus saying regardless of my circumstance, despite my pain, despite the voices that are yelling in my ear, despite my depression, despite my tears at night, despite all of that, I know that God's good regardless of my understanding and I'm gonna side with God and eventually he's gonna turn my pain into power. He'll turn your pain into power because man's interpretation of good does not define God's goodness. See, our limited point of view is contaminated by life experiences. Life experiences begins to contaminate the purity of God's word. Life experiences begins to influence our subconscious, begins to influence our heart, begins to influence our mind, begins to dictate our behavior, and life begins to taint us and skew us and harden us and harden our hearts ultimately against God. But God's forever loving, steadfast love never ends. And so though your heart might be hardened through circumstance, God still doesn't give up on you. God still sends a word in season. God still sends something your way that begins to germinate in your heart and soften your heart and lift your head up and say, God's good despite of this. And you begin to move forward. See, our limited point of view is contaminated by life's experiences, by trials, by tragedies, by suffering, by evil. And we can't allow those things to fade our perception of God. That means you've gotta wrestle. Why do you think the Bible says fight the good fight of faith? You've got to stand up when you don't feel like standing up. You've got to declare God's word when you don't believe God's word. You've got to speak things as though they're not even though it's happening in a bad way. You, you've got to realize though your mind is under attack and though you feel burdened down that you're in good company with patriarchs of faith. Every patriarch of faith had to experience the struggle. Without the struggle, there was no promise. Without the struggle, there was no faith that could be applied. Without the struggle, there was no miracle. You're in good company. But these things cause us to question God's goodness. Our interpretation of goodness is the absence of trials and tragedy and suffering and evil, isn't it? It's called perfection. Here's the definition of our perception overall of goodness. Man defines goodness as the perfected place where men don't harm one another and where no disaster and calamity lies. 
This is a picture of heaven. Men yearn for a place like this and God has already set it up. Don't you believe that? Don't you see that? Don't you feel that? People yearn for that place of harmony. People yearn for that place where there is no more pain. People, they yearn for that health and that vibrancy. And they believe that, that because there's no experience of that right now on earth overall, then God's not a good God. But the Bible says that God has planted eternity in the hearts of man so that we can yearn for a place whose city and maker is God, where there is no more pain, where there is no more tear, where you'll wipe away every sickness, where we'll take on a glorified body. And that's how we overcome in the now and now. That's how we stand and say, I'm immovable. This is how we stand and say, I'm unshakable. That's how you last. That's how you fight the good fight of faith. The dispensation of God's goodness on earth doesn't equal the absence of evil and suffering. It doesn't. You know, there was a guy in the Bible by the name of Job. Nobody likes to talk about Job. I like to talk about Abraham. This land is my land. <laughs> I'm a multiplier. But Job experienced hardships. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost his family. There's a time in his life where he was scraping sores off of his skin. He was under misery, misery, months of misery. And underneath the weight of misery, he began to question the intelligent design of God. He began to question there must not be goodness. As a matter of fact, he began to curse the day he was born. He began to curse his ever existence. But yet God, I love God because he didn't really, he didn't really say, Job, because you cursed the day of your existence, I'm gonna stamp you out of the earth. He said, look, let me, let me tell you something, Job. I, I'm gonna do something for you. God begins to question Job as he begins to question God. Job chapter 38, verse one, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? You ever feel like that? Here's what I've done, this is a side note. When I don't know what to pray anymore, I go to the Lord's prayer and just repeat it. <laughs> I say, God, I've prayed everything I know to pray. He, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I love God. I, I love what he is because watch some of the questions he begins to ask Job. Verse four, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you, Job? I didn't see you there. Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? 
Who supports the foundations? Who laid its cornerstone? A lot of people might look at that particular portion and say, my God, I mean, he's down. Go ahead and beat him while he's down. No, 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 that's not what God was doing. <laughs> Just kick the old horse and kill him, right? Shoot the horse. No, no. What God was doing was bringing Job to a place of discovery. He was asking him significant questions that was outside of his dimension. Job was stuck in his dimension of pain. Job was stuck in his dimension of suffering. Job was stuck in his dimension of loss and agony. And God said, I'm gonna ask this man some questions that's gonna cause him to think about a dimension other than his own, which is me, the all-encompassing God, the great I am, the one who's still alive, the one who's still at work, the intelligent designer that doesn't fail. He said, Job, did you stretch out those lines? Were you my surveyor? In other words, he's like, Job, I want you to stop looking at your pain. You're paralyzed, and I know it's gonna be hard, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'm gonna lead you along the path, and I want you to start looking at my creation, and I want you to start looking at my vastness and my impeccable design, which is gonna cause you to continue to believe that I am good and that my mercy endures forever, and despite of your pain, I am God. He didn't leave Job to die. I kind of look at that like Moses. He said, Job, I'm gonna ask you some questions that's gonna stretch your faith. I'm gonna give you a micro understanding of who I am. I'm gonna give you some water in this journey. See, our goodness comes from God. Our goodness comes from God, not ourselves. Job was a guy that was proclaiming his innocence, his perfection, and said, why am I suffering? See, we're not born innocent. We're born with the sin nature. It's in our DNA. You know the way we're programmed, though? We're programmed innocent into proving guilty. I'm good, God. Why is this happening? Which, by the way, just because you're in Christ doesn't mean you're not gonna have tragedy. Everybody listen to that real well. But Christian theology says we're guilty until made innocent through Christ. Guilty until made innocent. Not anything we can do. There's nothing Job could do. Psalms 51, five says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans says, as the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. Not one. Not one. But the amazing thing is, is that the king has extended his scepter to mankind. We know that as the cross. And he made a way where there seems to be no way that there's one mediator between God and man and it's the name of Jesus. It's the man Christ Jesus, and God's good, and Jesus experienced this feeling of, of despair, this feeling of where's God? Jesus, the God-man did. He was tortured. 
He had anxiety issues. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so anxious because he knew the torture was coming. He was in such despair and such anguish and, and wrestling with God and wrestling with identity that the that, 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 that experts say that his forehead was sweating blood. Jesus. He was disrespected. He was humiliated. He was rejected. He was shamed. There was injustice done to him. Evil, eventually death. But he paved the way for us so that we could be the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, in Christ Jesus only. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He said, take heart. Take heart and allow pain to turn into power. He said, take heart. Despite of the pain, there's a promise. He said, take heart. Despite the pain, there is victory. And that's the plan of God. And, and, and we see this throughout the world. We see this through seasons of our life. But we're beacons of hope. We're, we're like lights on a hilltop, a city where people can see that says regardless of the circumstance, I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna declare the goodness of God even if there's lies being screamed at me all night long. I'm gonna wake up and still declare the goodness of God and my pain will be turned into power and God's gonna use me as a vessel to reach more people, to influence more people, to be sought for more people, to be hope for more people and I'm not gonna choose the path of Satan with pain, which is paralyzation. I'm gonna choose the path with pain with God, which is power and influence. That's it. Lamentations. Chapter three, verse 19, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I will still dare to hope when I remember this. So in your grieving, there's still declaration. Verse 22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. God's faithful, no matter what. Our hearts are set towards eternity. And that's exactly what God was doing for Job. That's exactly what God was doing for Moses. And that's exactly what God will do for you. He will help and ask those questions that will cause you to just turn a little, bit, a little bit in another direction, which is eternity, which will change your trajectory and cause you to be an influencer versus the influenced by life. C.S. Lewis wrote this. They say some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. God wants to turn your life into glory. God wants to use you as a trophy. Will you bow your heads with me just for a moment? I don't know where you're at right now as an individual, as a person, but God does. God knows exactly where you are in life. Some of you might not be in pain, but this word 
is electrifying to your faith and you're able to help others. Some of you are in pain. Some of you are in distress. I picture you on your knees at that fork in the road and we have an adversary, an accuser, and he's planting that seed as God really good. And through the circumstance, you start leaning towards that. But God here today is reminding you that I'm good to choose my path of power and be an influence. That's for some of you right now. It's another group of people out in here who says, you know what, I know now I need Jesus. Like, I, I literally need to start my relationship with God today. Like I, I have to give my life right, I need God. And the Holy Spirit's here and he's working in your life right now and he drew you to this place and you're listening maybe online right now, maybe right here you're listening and God's saying, I love you. My goodness wants to come to you. The scepter is out, the cross is for you, ma'am, sir. You say, that's me, I need to get my life right with Jesus. What I'm gonna do is, I'm just gonna pray a prayer and you're just gonna agree with God. You're gonna say, that's me. And God's already working in your heart. God sees your heart right now. And you're just saying this, say, Father, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for the things that I've done that I haven't done. God, I surrender right now. I surrender my heart to you today, God. The best way you know how, you just open up your life to God. It's supernatural. It's undeserved, it's unearned, it's a free gift given to man when they put all their trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. That's what you're saying. God, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. I surrender my life, my life is yours. I believe in you, Jesus. And that was for you. If you prayed that prayer, we're excited about it. God sees you. God sees you. I wanna pray another prayer for those who are in a struggle right now. Lord, we're praying for people who's in a struggle, God. Those whose faith is on the line. God, I thank you that this word today is watering their life, that's bringing them hope in a hopeless state to make them powerful, not paralyzed. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Let's give it up, everybody who prayed that prayer. We're excited, give it up, church. Yeah. Thanks so much for watching Northwood Church. Wherever you're watching from, we want you to know that we consider you family. We as a church wanna help people know God, and our hope is that today you are encouraged and closer to God through this program. If you just prayed that prayer, first let me say congratulations. Starting your relationship with God is the best decision you can make, but it's also just a start, and we wanna help you on your journey of faith. If you're watching and you wanna become a partner in what God is doing in South Mississippi through Northwood Church, you can give simply by texting the amount you wanna to give to the number 228-215-3421. Again, that number is 228-215-3421. By giving, you're helping local food pantries, women's resource centers, missions, outreaches, and so much more. Even just $5 can go a long way. Again, text the amount to 228-215-3421. Northwood is one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, Mississippi, and we'd love to see you there. You can check out our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Be sure to connect with us at northwood.tv or on social media to stay up to date with all the exciting things happening around Northwood Church. Thank you for watching, and we hope to see you soon.